On this evening's Ecology Hour, I will be your host, Hannah Bird. Welcome to this evening's Ecology Hour. We've got a packed programme this evening filled with voices in the early stages of their careers in land management, natural resources and sustainable agriculture. We're going to start the conversation with members of the California Conservation Corps to learn more about their experiences this year at the CCC California Naturalist class. We'll then enjoy an archive interview from Ukiah CCC District Director John Button to learn more about the fantastic restoration work the CCC do in our community and another group of young people spending their summer working to expand their skills and knowledge are volunteers Morgan Clark, Finn Addison and Amanda Reardon, who've given their time at the UC Hopland Research and Extension Centre this summer. We'll hear about their experiences taking an inventory of the forest and what they hope to do with the skills they've learned. And then we'll finish off tonight with a trip to the fair. Although the Redwood Empire Fair is online this year, the Junior Livestock Show continues and we will hear from 10-year-old Flora Bird about how she and her sheep, Dinky, are preparing for fair. We're going to start this evening by hearing directly from participants of the California Naturalist classes offered to the California Conservation Corps at Hopland Rec just a few weeks ago for the Spring 2021 class. The opportunity for these young people to build their knowledge of the ecosystems around them, in which they work so hard, was made possible by donors to the Hopland Scholars Fund at the Hopland Rec. Grant support and the partnership between the California Conservation Corps and Hopland Rec. You'll hear in tonight's interviews just what a difference this made to these wonderful core members. And what better way to do that than by handing the microphone over to the class. We begin hearing from the Spring 2021 class and core member Lily Rickards takes the microphone to interview her fellow classmates. I think you'll agree she is fantastic on the radio. So let's join Lily as she interviews Christian Regadio, Dadrian Ferguson, Michael Topacio, Jacob Ingalls, and Cinque Benavide Kinley. We're here with Christian Regadio. Christian, what is your experience here in the CCC? Hi, so before I get to talking about my experiences, I'd like to talk about what made me join the CCC. And the main reason why is because I wanted to further my experience in knowledge about the outdoors in general, I suppose. I didn't know exactly what we were going to do besides what I read online, but the overall experience so far has been good. There's, of course, there's been good and bad, but I would definitely say that the good outweighs the bad. And I think that's all I would say for my experience so far. I've only been here for about two months. Awesome. So this week we are here at the Hopland Research Extension Center. We had some classes. What was something that you learned and you want to know more about? Yeah, so the class the class was awesome. I've loved it so far. Um, for myself, I always, I've wanted to always be a wildlife biologist, more specifically into uh, fish, like the study of fish. Uh, so something interesting that I want to learn more about is how we, we watched a video previously about the importance of salmon in rivers to the whole ecosystem. And without getting in too much into detail, that was something that I saw as valuable information for myself, but I feel like I could go further more into detail about it. All right, up next we're here with Sam Alameda. Sam, what has your experience been with the California Conservation Corps? It's been overall really positive. It's uh, definitely work I want to be doing, and it's work I want to continue doing for as long as I can. And I found it very enriching that I can be outside and work and actually see the benefit of my work and my crew's work. Nice. So this week we're at the Hopland Research Center. 
Is there anything that you learned and you're still curious about? Definitely, I, I'm still very curious about animals and how they interact with other animals and how they influence their environment. I've always been interested in animals and I really want to continue learning about animals. So you really enjoyed our wildlife day? Yes, very much. They're definitely a highlight of our week here. Any facts that surprised you? Uh, definitely surprised about how many birds just invade other nests and kick out eggs and then have other bird species like raise their young for them. It's very interesting. Was there something you didn't like this week? Um, definitely would like to try to get out more. It's uh, especially for me, I'm a very hands-on person, so when I get to go outside and see and touch what I'm learning about, it definitely helps. I get that. Any last words for our teachers? Uh, I just want to say thank you for the experience. It's been very enriching, very worthwhile, and I hope that other people get to experience this class. All right. Thank you, Sam. All right. Up next, we're with Sinke Benavides-Kinley. Sinke, what has your experience been like in the CCC? I can honestly say the California Conservation Corps offers an experience like no other. Uh, you won't find anything like this anywhere else. It offers an experience to get a look into what other people might do in their everyday jobs that seem so almost irregular. Uh, stuff like working outside every day. I had never thought about that before coming here, being a student, working fast food. But being here has opened my eyes to the many opportunities that are possible doing work that is not seen as typical. Truly. This week we were in class. What were some surprising facts you learned this week? Um, I was surprised to know that we have 11 different types of oak at just the Hopland Research Facility and 26 in California. Awesome. What are some of your favorite moments? I really loved getting some insight into what we're doing with our environment and how we can move forward and better it. Any last words? I just wanted to say thank you. It was a great opportunity. It really helped open my eyes to how working outdoors every day, I won't just be working, I'll be observing and annotating. All right, thank you, Sinke. Well, thanks again so much to Christian, Lily, Dadrian, Michael, Jacob, and Sinke. If you'd like to see more from their California Naturalist class, take a visit to the Hopland Research and Extension Center YouTube channel and take a look at the California Naturalist playlist, where you'll find fabulous short films created by the core members during their class that share their experiences and knowledge from the class. You can also find out more about the California Naturalist program at calnat.ucanr. Dot e -D -U. That's calnat, C-A-L-N-A-T dot U-C-A-N-R dot E-D-U. Now, having worked with these fabulous CCC members again this year, I wanted to return to an archive interview from 2017 with John Button, the Ukiah CCC District Director, to learn about opportunities for young people in the CCC and his own journey through the Corps. Their tagline is hard work, low pay and miserable conditions. But John explains how much more there is to the Corps. Welcome John Button, the Ukiah Centre Director at the California Conservation Corps. We're thrilled that you could take some time today because I know how busy you are. John, just to start with, could you give me an overview of who the California Conservation Corps are and where this whole program started from? Well, originally the, the CCC, the California Conservation Corps, started back in 1976. Mm. And uh, since then it's grown into, uh, you know, it's, it's a big organization. It's statewide and we focus oh. on uh, youth ages 18 to 25, men and women. And uh, they sign up for a year. They can get scholarships. You, it's basically a youth development program. You know, we get a lot of youth that are taking a break in uh, 
with schooling, get, wanting to gain some work experience in the outdoors. You know, we serve California. We do a lot of uh, community service uh, volunteer events. We also do a lot of natural resource related type work, work in the streams, doing salmon habitat restoration. Uh, we work in the you know, state parks and do trail work. It's pretty amazing all the different things, and I think it's, mm-hmm. I think in this community most people may well have seen because they always, CCC members I always think look so smartly dressed. You're always in you know in uniform, looking looking great. But we see them in the community, and often I think people are just wondering, so what are they actually doing out there? So maybe um, having given us that nice broad overview of what CCC does, could you give me some examples of? the kind of projects you've had some of your teams out working on recently or perhaps something that we might see when we're driving around that you mm. feel like, you know, people should know that's a CCC project. Yeah. Say if you're taking a hike down a trail or you're at a Vista Point, a lot of times the trail you're hiking on or if you're walking across a bridge or a boardwalk, you know, the CCC built that. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the beautiful areas we, we tend to travel to on vacations and every day, uh, our, our, the CCC has, has been in, involved one way or another you know mm-hmm. and uh you know as you're even as you're driving along down the uh, side of the road you know a lot of times we do a lot of road work uh, landscaping improvement mm-hmm. um and uh we do a lot of stuff that that a lot of the public don't see you know on on uh on property that is tucked away in our, our watersheds you know like i said earlier we do a lot of salmon habitat restoration uh which improves uh you know the the watershed itself and the, the fish and the fisheries and yeah, since this is the ecology hour, then it's really nice just to hear because I do think that this this was one of the reasons I thought it was great to have you interviewed here is that I do think CCC actually makes a difference to the health of the ecological system that we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot of hours to do a lot of the kind of projects that we're talking about and having a crew of people who are able to do that work. But they're not only doing the work, right? They're learning skills while they're doing it. Definitely. Could you give me some examples of the kinds of skills that you feel like these young people end up having? Well, a lot of times, uh, you know, we have we have several internships with uh, different agencies. And so, you know, a person could come into our program and not really have any skills, you know, and they could they could leave with a driver's license, with a high school diploma. We have a charter high school program. Um, they can have a commercial driver's license. We offer specialized trainings. You know, they can operate a chainsaw, uh, be a firefighter. Uh, we also, we're actually doing it, uh, doing the training this week where it's called HAZWAP or it's a hazardous uh, response. Uh, we, we basically go out to oil spills, um, uh, you know, a hazardous situation emergency and go in and, and help clean up, help with that process. So they also get certified to do that. Goodness me. That's so, a lot to learn in a year. Yeah, not only yeah, and then they you know the team the teamwork work ethics, um, you know uh, camaraderie, just everyday life skills. You know you learn how to to live and work with a tight knit group of people, and you build friendships over that year of your time in the CCC, in the California Conservation Corps that last a lifetime. Mm. You know, and it's just great this yeah. the, the experience you bring out of there. So give me an example. You've mentioned a few things already that I think are really interesting. So they can, somebody who becomes a core member can, they don't have to come to you with their high school diploma. That's something they can gain during their time with you. That's correct. So most of the folks who do come to you, what's their driver? What are they hoping for in their time? You know, a lot of people, I I see the youth just coming in wanting to to gain, you know, work experience skills. You know, we get a, a pretty diverse group of folks. Uh, like I said, some people are taking a break in school, just need work experience. Some of the youth want to have, you know, it's their first job. So they're learning how to, you know, get up on time and, and be there, um, you know, punctual. And they get paid? They get paid. Yeah, it's minimum wage. Right. They get paid minimum wage and uh, they get a CCC scholarship and they also have opportunities to other AmeriCorps scholarships. And they, if somebody... Uh, play their cards right, they could leave the CCC with about $15,000 in scholarships. Wow, goodness, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's some some huge, huge benefits from um, the young people who get involved with this. How how do you recruit for um, the people? Because I'm thinking we might have some young people listening to this this evening who are thinking, this is just what I've been looking for. What's the process? How would they get involved? Yeah, well, I mean, we our center is located on uh, Old River Road. And it's uh, 2600 Old River Road, Ukiah, 95482. 
And we have a recruiter there named Susan, and our phone number is 707-463-2822. And if, you know, she basically does orientations. Um, She'll do them daily. She'll try to schedule them weekly. And then so somebody could come and take a tour of the facility, learn all the different types of uh, uh, projects we do and what, what would best fit their their needs and their desires you know we like i said we have uh, centers all over the state of california we have residential centers we have non-residential centers so the ukiah center is a residential center um, and that would be you know they would basically start there and do an orientation and then they could figure out where they wanted to go and and get signed up and then once they sign up we have a a week-long orientation where we go over the policies, procedures, uh, what to do, what not to do, and kind of talk about how to be successful in the program. You know, it's like an onboarding process, and mm-hmm. then and then they they jump right in. You yeah. know, a lot of the folks that come in, the new the new hires, we call them comets. Um, they come in and they'll uh, we'll throw them their first day um, on the job after the training. We'll throw them out in the woods for eight <laughs> days at a time. We call it spike, and they'll camp out and and take everything for eight days, live out of a tent and work on a trail or work on a a remote project. Wow. So have the young people who come to you often had that experience before or is this often the first time for them? You know, it's funny we that we get a you know, some of the some of the people that come in, uh, you know, they've done a lot of camping in their childhood or they've they've been camping before, but a lot of times we'll get people that haven't seen trees and this is the first time being in the woods, going camping and you know, the size of the trees we have up here, the big beautiful redwoods, uh, you know, it's our first time seeing trees that size. Oh, that's amazing. Give me some examples of, um, well, maybe you have somebody, an example of one of the, the young people that you've worked with that had a real change in their life in the time that they worked with CCC, right? They came in one way, not knowing perhaps what they were planning on doing, and then they ended up doing something pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we get a, <clears throat> we have a lot of cases like that. I'm trying to think of one. Um, I know you see a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a lot of success stories, you know, and, you know, we'll have folks come in and um, not sure kind of what they want to do with their life, but know they want to do something positive, and this is, this is a way for them to kind of figure out what they want to do and uh, develop the tools to be successful in life. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of times people come in and they, you know, they'll struggle a bit and then they'll kind of get settled and then they'll find out what they want to do. And then they'll just take advantage of the program and all the, all the opportunities we have to offer. Mm -hmm. And uh, they'll leave there with their high school diploma. Uh, Recently we've had several people graduate uh, last month and they Mm -hmm. didn't, that were, basically kind of you know there wasn't any hope for them getting their diploma and then they they kind of this they had this opportunity to join this great program and and get their diploma and leave there with the confidence knowing that now they can you know they can go out and get a decent job you know with the education yeah Um, one thing i've noticed in in working with your core members is that confidence actually i feel like often i see that their their way of expressing themselves is is very mature Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that I have a feeling that that's a lot to do with the training that's provided through that time with CCC. Um, the other thing I just wanted to really flag up, because I think as we talk and perhaps in this kind of territory, it makes it sound as if your main group who are being recruited are people who are real at-risk youth, um, or have had some you know major challenges, and that's the only people that you're open up to and accepting but am i I'm, i think i'm wrong in saying that right yes yeah I, that seems to be the the rumor the myth uh that you know that the ccc are are you know are young adults who are in probation or trouble or should jail or correctional facility and it's not you know it's it's um like i said they they sign up for a year they want to be there they're um you know we get a large group of people and you know they're not they, they can't be on probation or parole they can't be in trouble um, you know, they're not inmates. They, they're, they're on their own free will. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, they're getting paid minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And, but there's a lot of other things that are opportunities that make it better. You know, mm-hmm. that, that they're, like I said, when they leave there, they can have, uh, they can leave there with a lot of money towards school to mm-hmm. pay off existing school loans or for future school, trade school. And, uh, but yeah, we're definitely not inmates. We're mm-hmm. not in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we wear the brown uniform. 
and the blue hats, red hats, yellow hats and stuff. But yeah, we're not, not in trouble. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah. I, I've loved working with your core members every time I've got the chance to. But I think one thing I have noticed is that I feel like you do have a great diversity of people involved. And that's wonderful to see. And that is, you know, something to be really proud of that you're working with this diversity of youth. Um, but anybody, anybody has the right to contact you and say they're interested, which is which is great to hear. Definitely. Okay, so, you know, I'm really interested in how you ended up in this position. What was your journey? <laughs> um, well, I actually, I started out as a core member, and it, there used to be a center uh, as far in Northern California as you could almost get. It was, it was the Del Norte Center. is up on top of a hill called Requa Hill, right. and it was in Klamath, California, about an hour south of the Oregon border, right on the coast on bluffs overlooking the ocean. And uh, I, I recruit. I was recruited in uh, Southern California in Camarillo, and I've looked at the map and I pointed as far away <laughs> at the center as far north away from Southern California as I could. <laughs> so, and I went there and I was, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. I was nervous, scared, excited, all, you know, kind of just jumping into something I was unfamiliar with. And so, um, I stayed there for two years and uh, as a core member, and then I, I graduated the program and left and worked with state parks, uh, the Park Service, Forest Service, and did some seasonal type jobs. And then I landed, uh, I was actually sitting in a restaurant the day the applications were due and I filled in a state application and got it postmarked, you know, Ooh. slipped it in there. <laughs> and for a, for a conservationist one, which is a supervisor, they're the, they're the staff that uh, supervise our crews. And so I, I got in, got accepted, you know, took a panel interview, got a, and got hired actually at Del Norte, and I uh, was there for a couple of years, and then unfortunately they closed down, and so a lot of the staff shifted, and we went other places, and then I ended up in Fortuna for a bit, but now I'm down in Ukiah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's uh, you know, and at that point in my life, I didn't have my high school diploma, I didn't have a GED. So when I was a core member in the program, I got my GED, and then as when I came back as a staff member, I got I finished and got my high school diploma. So, and kind of without that, it it, it really it gave me an opportunity, like a second chance to, to get that stuff and opened up a lot of opportunities for me to be, you know, yeah. successful. Yeah. So you're the success story. There yeah, you right. go. We found <laughs> it. That's perfect. Yeah. So just to round off, I know because I work with a number of different organizations, the kind of folks that you often mm -hmm. offer your skills to. Um, I know Redwood Valley Outdoor Education Project is often appreciative of your time. Can you give me some other examples of the kinds of partnerships you have where you're supporting projects that are already ongoing? Well, yeah, we're always looking for new new partners, new sponsors. Um, as far as, you know, we do a lot of a lot of community service and I mean, the list is so long. Uh, we, we, you know, we do the Stillhead Festival, uh, the Crab Feed. We're building a partnership with the Hopland Research Center here. Mm -hmm. And um, we do the Martin Luther King. We do a lot of events in the community. And uh, we also, a lot of our sponsors that we work for, um, paid sponsors are, um, we do a lot of, uh, we work with state parks, the Forest Service, BLM, Fish and Wildlife, Trout Unlimited, uh, Mendocino Land Trust. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the list goes on and on. We mm -hmm. do, we work for a lot of different yeah. agencies. You so know. anybody who does get time with you gets the opportunity to experience lots of different career possibilities right? definitely yeah. yeah it's you know I think Ukiah Center is probably one of the has the most diverse project base in my opinion you know mm -hmm. and I think because we do a lot of different things we do salmon habitat restoration we we have a type 2 fire crew we build trails we do invasive plant removal native uh, planting when we're working with CCC I realize it's really complex the different kind of positions you have and sure. could you explain to me the difference in these kinds of positions do you have a number of positions like that or how does that work well we currently this is our first year um, in Ukiah actually having these these two positions we have two positions and uh, it's an AmeriCorps funded program mm -hmm. but yeah they work with our we have fish habitat specialist and a fish habitat assistant in Ukiah and their their main goal is is getting partnered up with like Fish and Game, Trout Unlimited, and these agencies to uh, do stream restoration. And so mm -hmm. by having uh, Bailey and Alejandra, they their their position is basically helping doing uh, salmon uh, spawner surveys, going out doing hab typing, uh, taking pictures, you know, research, and helping uh, design projects. And then also 
technical, you know, um, support on projects. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, this is our first year so far. It's been good. It's mm-hmm. great having them there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping to get two new members next year. Oh, that's great. So. I know we've been benefiting from it and we'll be seeing around 80 local school children to talk about watersheds at the end of next week with, um, with Alejandra and Bailey, the watershed stewards. So we're excited about what it's offering to our community and our, our kids here too. So John, is there anything that you wanted to add at all about your experience with CCC or what it's doing for our community around here? You know, I know, I, I know that we are, um, like I said, we, we started in 1976 and we've been through rough times and, and good times. And I know right now, you know, our governor supports the program because he helped get it going. And so this is this is the good times here. We're trying to expand while we can. I think, you know, this program has helped me and I've seen it help hundreds and hundreds of people mm-hmm. through my career, my time in the CCC. You know, we definitely want to get our name out there and, and people to understand who we are when you see us working, driving by or hiking on the trail and you run into a couple members, you know, stop and, and talk to them. And I just want people to recognize mm-hmm. that we are a good program and it's a thing. They want to be there and they want to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, help with the California and natural resources mm-hmm. and help improve what we have and mm-hmm. take care of our community. Well, thank you for the work that you do because it's, it's really appreciated. We, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to John Button, director at the Ukiah California Conservation Corps. I'm always amazed at the variety of experiences offered to young adults through the CCC and appreciate so much the work they do in our community. Next time you see their brown uniforms and the colourful hats, give them a wave and a thank you. If you'd like to find out more about the California Conservation Corps, you can visit their website at CCC. Dot ca dot G-O-V. Now I know we've got some other wonderful shows coming up on KZYX. Um, tomorrow you can join the Renewable Energy Hour. That's on Wednesday, August 4th um, at 7pm. You can join hosts Doug and Alex for a show about new developments in renewable energy. With time for you to call in with your own excitements, questions and concerns, that's the Renewable Energy Hour. Wednesday at 7pm, right here on KZYX and Z. Well, I want to move on. We've had some wonderful volunteer support here at the UC Hopland Research and Extension Centre over the summer from three university students, Morgan Clark, Finn Addison and Amanda Reardon, who've been supporting us in many ways, including collecting data for a forest inventory. I started my interview with them by asking Finn, Morgan and Amanda to explain where they were in their educational journey and what brought them to volunteer at the Hopland Research and Extension Centre. Can I ask you first of all, maybe we could start with Morgan, um, what is it that brought you here and whereabouts are you right now with your education and everything else in your life? <laughs> it's kind of Amanda that brought me here. Oh, okay. <laughs> at the beginning of the summer she was like, hey, let's do this thing. and. I think young kids are like always looking for something so that's going to help them out in the future, like better their resume or give them more experience. I feel like with ag, you can never have enough experience too. Tell uh, me some of the stuff. So you're studying ag, is that right? Morgan? Yeah. So my, I go to Chico State and my major is agricultural science and education. Um, and I'm also going to go through the credential program. So that'll basically put me in place to be a high school ag teacher kind of almost anywhere I want, which is really exciting. Fantastic. Um, California really needs those right now. Yeah. Um, and I've worked at the um, Mendocino College Ag Department for the last four years. Um, so I have a lot of horticulture experience, um, but I'm trying to get into more like ranching experience because there's so many different sectors of ag that it's like there's so many different things that you could learn about. And so when Amanda suggested this place, I was like, why not? <laughs> if I'm going to learn something, why not? Just a reminder that you are listening to the Ecology Hour on KZYX, Mendocino County's public and community radio. The time is 7.30pm. What about you, Amanda? Yeah, so I'm a UC Davis student. I'm studying sustainable agriculture and Spanish. And along the lines of what Morgan was saying, (laughs) I work at the student farm at Davis, and that's an agricultural 
like organic production. So we do like crops. And so I wanted a little more experience, you know, along different areas of agriculture. So it was really fun. I met John Bailey, the director here last summer. It sounded like a great opportunity. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we've been really lucky having you guys here. Before I moved to Finn, because <laughs> um, I think you come from a slightly different angle, but I'm really interested in what you, what brought you guys with an interest in agriculture. I feel like we maybe see a little less of that and I'm interested in what fuels your passion for it. I feel like we're definitely in the minority yeah. of like all of our classmates. I think it was our childhood though. Like, yeah. The way we grew up together. Like, I grew up on a hay ranch for the first yeah. 10 years of my life. She had beautiful Cattle. experiences. Like, <laughs> yeah. We were always sowing in ponds. And... Yeah. And then I feel like just our county too. There's agriculture mm-hmm. everywhere with grapes. Pears, everything. We had the same the same teacher at St. <laughs> Mary's. We had the same gardening teacher, Missy Nelson. Oh, yes. She was really, really fun. Um, my mom got me into gardening. Like every year she would do something with the garden. And I, I think my earliest memory of gardening was when my mom grew a bunch of pumpkins. <laughs> and it was like my job to cut them all. And it was so <laughs> exciting. It was like, <laughs> like holding all these big orange things and being like, oh my God, we made this. Oh, how awesome. Did you ever rebel against it? Because I feel like sometimes when you're a kid, like there's a period where you're like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> weeding. I never wanted to weed. And my mom would always try and make me do that. So, but now you love it, right? I'm, I'm good with weeding now. If the soil's wet, I'm okay with weeding. Um, and then Amanda and I were in um, what was the class we took in high school? Soil chemistry. Soil chemistry. We took that. Um, I feel like every year we've just been getting more and more into it. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And it's really exciting, Morgan, to also hear about how you're interested in like passing that passion on. It yeah. sounds like that's something yeah. that's quite important to you. Yeah, I really want to teach because I just think there's, um, you know, populations rising. So we have more and more people just living in urban areas and they don't know where their food comes from and they don't know these natural processes that have been going on for hundreds of years. And I think teaching kids, um, like, the idea that they can provide for themselves and that there's all these things happening that they should know about. It's like really important to me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Finn, can you share a little bit Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah as yeah. I say, you came, you came, you contacted us separately, I think, and I'd love to hear about what brought you here and where you're at with your education. Yeah, I was looking for internships um, in the beginning of last year, and um, I talked to my dad, who used to be a biology teacher, and he would bring students here, and he recommended I reached out to you guys, so I called John Bailey, and um, he set me up with this other group of interns, and then, um, but currently I'm going to my sophomore year at Montana State studying conservation biology. Excellent. Have you any ideas of what you hope to do with that in the long run? Um, I like various things, maybe go to the Department of the Interior and work for the National Park Service. Maybe work for organizations like the uh, American Prairie Reserve, um, or just work for the World Conservation Society. Awesome. Like All right, Steve. We've already got some things lined up. It's exciting. <laughs> so can I ask, um, maybe I could again ask each of you separately, just one of the things that you've worked on in your summer, you've given us a, a day a week through the summer, and you've had different projects that you've been working on as volunteers through that time. Um, I'm keen to hear, like, what was your favorite thing or what did you feel like you you learned um, in the time that you've been here? Um, And maybe, Amanda, could we start off with you? Does that put you in the hot seat? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, I think most of the time that I've spent here, we've been doing the forest inventory project. And I definitely enjoyed that because I learned a lot more about like the native California landscape mm-hmm. and like all the different environments that we have and I had no idea we had so many different types of oak trees to be honest yeah we just been like, like pointing stuff out yeah and being like oh that's that yeah and just learning all the different species and I, it has been interesting seeing how you know the environment has changed through the fires mm-hmm. and how things are coming back and what isn't coming back mm-hmm. so I think that was probably my main learning experience. 
Yeah. And I'd love to talk more about the forest inventory work that you've been doing, but mm-hmm. um, and also fine if you guys end up with the same thing. But I'm interested, Finn. Do you have anything to add to that, or anything different that? Um, well, I really like learning from Mike and his kind of expertise, especially with the oak trees. So that's um, Dr. Mike Jones, who's yes. the um, Cooperative Extension Forest Advisor um, for Lake Mendocino and Sonoma Counties, who's been awesome at helping us out. And we're planning to revisit with Mike next month on the Ecology Hour <laughs> to talk in more depth about the forest inventory project. But yeah, go ahead, Finn. Yeah, and he is kind of like expertise with all the oak trees and recognizing them really quickly but also describing the patterns that he's seeing um and he was talking a little bit about um they're seeing less maturing oak trees and um, the problems that might create with Mm -hmm. climate change and Mm -hmm. more fires and frequency like that Mm -hmm. so i definitely enjoyed him going into more depth about that um and then again with forest inventory we um last week we got to core an oak tree and that was Mm -hmm. that was pretty interesting watching that be pulled out oh that sounds awesome so i definitely want to return to that too again that's what i was gonna talk about (laughs) so morgan why don't you tell us a little bit Uh, about what you found and feel free if you want to bring us back to that that was finn's idea yeah he one of my favorite things was that last no the week before last um Finn wanted to core an oak tree and Mike was like all right it's gonna be like really hard but like if you want to because oak trees have that hard wood and could you describe to us from from the very beginning as somebody who's not a forestry <laughs> expert at all what on earth do you mean by okay. coring an oak well, tree uh basically taking a sample from like the inside layers and you t- it's, it's almost like you're pulling a stick out the very middle of the tree and Finn wanted to do it, and I didn't even know what you were talking about. I was like, you're going to poke a hole in a tree? <laughs> like, okay. Because um, it uses a screw. Right, yeah. Like, there. how, what is it called? You... It's a bore, I think it's called. Yeah. And it just cuts a little uh, eighth of an inch diameter piece of wood that you cut out of there. Yeah, and you, like, screw it into the tree. Mm-hmm. So you get it right the way through the middle of the tree, right? You so go as deep as you can, but you aim for the middle. Mm-hmm. But you have to do it really fast because the oak tree will expand and contract around There's the, the mm-hmm. um, yeah, Batteries. the, yeah, well, and then you can get your um, actual screw stuck in the tree, so. Yeah. <laughs> so did you guys manage it? Uh, the first time was not successful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... Mike Mike did it a second time and then he handed it back to Finn and he was like okay now you try again and so we got two samples and they were so cool because you can see the rings within the samples so like so just like we'd see the rings if we were looking at a cross section right yeah Yeah. so we're like looking at a stick with like all these lines on it um so we had maybe a stick that was only like a little sample <laughs> that was like a foot long mm-hmm. and it um had almost like 70 70 rings 70 years within that so then we're looking at the tree and we're like this is gonna be like a 300 year old tree because oh we didn't even reach the center and yeah it was like, like a we're... four foot diameter tree we mm-hmm. thought and he was pointing out how you can tell sometimes with drought and fire years depending on how far apart the rings are mm-hmm. or if there's discoloration between them and it was really interesting it was so cool yeah like the the rings that were 70 years ago like it had even growth each year and it was actually quite a large amount of growth within the tree so you can tell that it was healthy and it was growing steadily and then like the last 15 years you could tell there were some rings that were so close together where the tree just didn't even grow that year didn't get enough water Um, and i'm interested was mike saying that that was a fairly common occurrence that we're seeing due to drought and other changes Mm -hmm. in climate the trees are showing it just getting hotter and the droughts we've excuse me had in like the last 15 years like you can see it in the samples Mm -hmm. um he said you could even see burn scars if you take a sample from the right spot you can see almost like a fire within the bark because if we're talking about a tree that's 300 years old it's highly likely oh yeah like we we were standing there on that hill and we were like okay so this tree is older than the united states of america (laughs) (laughs) like our country has not even been established for as long as this tree's been around and he's also talking about you could compare like trees that would be like half the size of that tree but it would still be 300 years old Mm -hmm. because they have such a regular growth yeah oh my goodness me Wow, that sounds absolutely fascinating. I'm going to have to get Mike to go yeah. and do that with him sometime. <laughs> it was cool. It sounds hard as well. So It's, it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested, and in, this was part of this forest inventory work that you guys were doing. Um, 
what is a forest inventory? Can I, and any of you that feel like taking that one up, what what on earth is it? We well, going around. Um, <laughs> I mean, we were we had certain plots that um, I believe they were generated by a computer that's just yeah, selected them. Random, yeah. Yeah, and so we would go to those plots, and then we would take a sample of those trees. Um, How big is a plot? So you've kind of sent out onto 58, our site. 58 radius so radius. you just go in a circle and um any trees that had what was sorry is that, that feet i should just yeah, yeah sorry 50 feet. Feet. yeah yeah so we put a stake down in the center and then we can um what's what's that device called Clon- 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 yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and so we would take the heights of the certain trees and they had to have uh i forget Get what the acronym stands wow. for, but a DBH of diameter, five. diameter at yeah. Oh, yeah. you guys are passing the so, test. Well yeah. Done. So <laughs> basically, any tree within that plot that was bigger than what was it five, five inches five around? Inches. Yeah. Five inches around. We would take um, data on the the whole entire tree, whether it had burn scars, how severe the burn scars were, the height, the canopy percentage. Basil uh, sprouting. Yeah, basil and, and versus epicolmer. Yeah. So tell us what those two things are. Those are some big words. That <laughs> <we might be. laughs> uh, epicolmer sprouting is um, like, like along. Up in the canopy. Up in the canopy, yeah. Like along the branches, which is where the trees like sprouting. Words, words. <laughs> sprouting, <laughs> sprouting out of like the upper branch. Okay. Upper branch is where it's like basil is at. The, the base, base of the tree. Gosh, okay. And would this only be on burned trees that you'd be seeing this? Or, or damaged. Okay. Like if something yeah. happens to them and they're trying to stay alive somehow. We well, definitely saw a lot of it in the burned areas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the basil sprouting especially was like a sign of mm-hmm. burned trees where the whole oak stump would be burned out, but you'd see lots of sprouts coming out of it. Wow. And the, the madrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those had a lot of basil sprouting. So you've been going, so I, I think, sorry, I sidetracked slightly there, but you went out to your plots, you marked out your area, you, ch- you, you selected these larger trees that you were going to do this kind of full review of. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole site here is 5,358 acres. So this sounds like a huge project. <laughs> yeah, you're um, hiking. Hiking. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guessing that sometimes the computer randomized plot does not send you to the easiest process, no. <laughs> right? Some were down to yeah. the and... very first one we did together was like the worst one. It was on a steep hillside and you're walking through lots Sliding of brush down. and grass. Yeah. Oh my goodness yeah. me. Um, and then so you, you've you got this kind of detailed look at these trees. Um, could you guys expand what, why would that be useful? any thoughts on what the value of collecting that data is and as i say we hope to return next month with dr mike jones to discuss this more but mm-hmm. well part of the reason we were told we were doing this forest inventory was looking at maybe introducing cattle to the property mm-hmm. and looking at specific environments of how i would think to most sustainably farm those ag- those cattle mm-hmm. and how to rotate them how to build your pastures around the property mm-hmm. um and I mean, we would also take grass cover or ground cover, um, which was really important for that. Yeah. And I forgot to say that. Yeah. <laughs> also, with yeah, within the plots, we would um, take note of like the um, shoot, what was that called? The soil. Oh, the percent of the soil. Percent of the soil. Fair. Yeah. I guess. Rock. <laughs> See how much rock. Leaves. Detritus. I think it was called or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, grass and then shrubbery and then actual trees wow how long did it take you to do each plot some were fast it depends on how many like trees (laughs) (laughs) i see of course it depends how much stuff you're having to look at right yeah how many trees you have to tag and go around count each one and Mm -hmm. um i think our first plot took at least an hour and a half and we had to go back after a day and finish it up (laughs) Wow. Yeah, but others where it's just mostly grassland could take fifteen minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. So when you arrive to these different sites, depending on how difficult they are to get to, you might be thinking, "I hope this is over quickly." Or, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to hang out here for a while. Yeah. Right? Last yeah. time we were with Mike, we knocked out a bunch of grass plots in one day. We we had an easy day, but we did like four or five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
We did get that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, just again for the listeners to understand, so the site here is um, over 5,000 acres and about two-thirds of it burned in the Mendocino complex fire back in 2018. Um, so you've been looking at these different sites. Some of them, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, would have been plots that didn't experience the yeah. fire. Some maybe we've had prescribed burns here too, so maybe mm-hmm. they've been here for a prescribed burn. And some that were um, wildfire impacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in anything you noticed. I mean, I loved what you've shared with us about kind of fire scars and this resprouting. Anything else you noticed from those burned areas? I think I remember when we were going through some of the more grassy plots, there was one where it had burned and there was a big oak tree and it was just mostly surrounded by grass and it hadn't regrown. And Mike said he couldn't understand why the fire had killed it because there wasn't any like shrubs or anything to fuel the fire and it was really interesting to kind of try and figure out why you know that oak tree wasn't growing back and why it it. burned so hot I guess and killed it it's like it's kind of like we're like going into an investigation like after a crime scene and we're like (laughs) why did this happen here how and it some places just burn so hot and we're like taking note of that like there's complete scarring on the trunk and other places they burn hot and it's in the middle of the field and you're like why like why <laughs> because you'd think that in the middle of a field you wouldn't have enough would, fuel yeah, it would be to rest, get to those temperatures it would just yeah. straight through in a low fire mm-hmm. the other thing that was really cool was um when john bailey showed us the um grazing in some areas where the fire went through and it was just quick and not hot and it really like the trees did not get that much damage versus in other places where there was no grazing and it just ripped mm-hmm. ripped the canyons apart really mm-hmm. yeah the trees in those areas and even i mean very much now you really still see the difference don't you from mm-hmm. nice healthy looking yeah and you can see like all the fall down too now especially mm-hmm. um and we went down into like a creek gully and we found tons of trees that they had been burned and scarred but now they're just completely falling over mm-hmm. Um, but it's taken this much time for yeah yeah but it's also just interesting like places where trees should not necessarily be burning so hot that the bark is curling off and killing the cambrian i believe it's called um that was definitely interesting trying Mm. to figure that out did you see any parts where you felt like um actually this fire in this area burned at kind of just the the right amount and it was a good thing for the the plots that you were looking at it's, I like it for myself personally because I want to settle in this area. Like, I want to live here, and I know you can't stop fires. You have to figure out a way to live with it. So it's cool learning about it here and being like, okay, like, if I have a property, if I have a ranch, like, this is how I have to manage it so that the trees survive. And it's it's just like a whole big mind game. Mm-hmm. Where to put the water, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, it's definitely not something you can... I think I think that's something that's for me has been quite a shift because obviously I don't come from somewhere where a fire is part of the system, um, but understanding that there is so much oh there's there's a dog barking for us too, um, that's the <laughs> blessing of being outdoors right, um, but there is so much that you have to do to plan to live with fire and recognize mm. that it is part of the system that we're in right right yeah I think for all of us growing up in really rural kind of instances we all have grown up realizing that mm-hmm. too so oh yeah while we were all in high school there were some of the deadliest fires within the state of california and you know we were like 15 16 <laughs> and we're just like oh okay this is this is a part of life yeah this yeah. is our new normal and now like in my 20s i'm like okay i gotta buy a house i gotta figure out where <laughs> an appropriate place to live is and if i want to grow animals and gardens like you have to figure out how to manage the land and that's why i love the forest inventory because you just look at how how it acts naturally Mm. it's cool sounds like those experiences it's interesting to think about how those um huge wildfires 2017 2018 were at a really formative part in your life yeah (laughs) and how that might have actually impacted some of the decisions you guys made am i right in saying that oh completely i mean it was it felt so bizarre to walk out of the classroom and have it be dark pitch black 1 Mm. p.m and it was, like it was no just, sun. it was really striking to kind of mm. sit there and realize, like, oh, this is, yeah. 
Feels like a, a very apocalyptic childhood yeah. we had. <laughs> yeah, I know. And now we're in the pandemic. Here we are at the edge of the pandemic. <laughs> yes, times. at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, just to wind this up, and um, again, I just want to say, you know, a huge thank you to you guys because you've, you know, I hope I hope you've learned through the process, but <laughs> certainly we've benefited hugely from your time and um, with us. So we really appreciate that here. Um, but I, I find this really interesting. Um, where Morgan was just taking us and the experiences you've had here. Um, where do you, what do you hope to do now? You know, you've talked about how these things have impacted your, um, you guys as you grow and as you go into your education. Um, and we've talked a little bit about some of the hopes that Morgan has for ag, but do you guys want to talk in a more broader, like where do you feel like you fit into this challenging environment that we're talking about? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I know that was a huge question. <laughs> I like the idea of social ecological systems, so I want to work more with those and look at how, um, you know, wildlife is becoming, um, it's kind of disappearing, and um, I've been looking at some stuff in Montana, combining wildlife with ag practices, whether that's how you design your fences so pronghorn and antelope can go under them, um, and we're just building the natural bridges over freeways and so i want to look at how the human population can interact with wildlife in different ways and make that both available but also keep those wildlife populations safe so oh, that was fantastic then i suspect that was, that was good yeah maybe i'll come back Ooh, and do some no. more studies here in the future i hope so because that's so. certainly something that gets worked on here as well um do you guys want to add anything? I don't want to put you on the spot, but you want to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have an exact job, you know, in mind with sustainable agriculture or Spanish. But you can do anything with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that's amazing. Yeah. But I've just really enjoyed learning about like all the practices within sustainable agriculture that are surprisingly easy to implement for farmers, businesses, anything, and they can make huge differences on the environment, wildlife, and make, you know, the land that we use to feed ourselves, like, keep feeding us for a yeah. lot longer than it mm. would if we didn't use mm. certain practices. Mm. So, Excellent. hoping to help others kind of find those types of things to help Fantastic. the environment. Yeah. yeah. For me, I, I basically want to, like, do those same things, but, um, I realized when I was a kid that I'm not good at math. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be like a sustainability engineer. So, um, I, but I can't get enough of agriculture. So I just want to educate kids. And I also am big on like um, self-sufficiency, I think, and giving kids the mindset that like they can, I think I already said this, but provide for themselves. And I think, yeah, everything's becoming so much more innovative and sustainable like if you look at the data between like dairy cow genetics and beef genetics like it's it's getting really interesting in california <laughs> and i just want to teach that to kids um, i feel so much better today <laughs> you guys i feel like hey if this is what the future looks like we are set yeah. so i just want to say a massive thank you to you guys and um hopefully we'll return to check in with you guys in a future <laughs> episode of the ecology hour and hear where your travels have taken you thank, thank you so you. much thank you i can't say how wonderful finn morgan and amanda have been as volunteers this summer at hopland rec thank you to them and to all those offering their time on a voluntary basis to support causes they care about now I wanted to mention another great show that I see is coming up this week on KC KCYX, Forthright Radio. That's on tomorrow, Wednesday, August 4th at 9am. And on the next Forthright Radio, the host, Joy LaClaire, will speak with Rutgers University Professor of Anthropology, Alexander Hinton, about his work and his latest book, It Can Happen Here, White Power and the Rising Threat of Genocide in the U.S., he was an expert witness in the 2016 Khmer Rouge Tribunal in Cambodia. That's Forthright Radio, Wednesday, 9am, here on KCYX and Z. Well, to finish off this evening's Ecology Hour, finally, it's time for FAIR. 
although the Redwood Empire Fair will be mostly online this year, Young Future Farmers of America and 4-H members are preparing their animals for show and auction this weekend. And we're going to finish the show with a quick visit with Flora Bird, who in the interests of full disclosure is my daughter, to hear about how preparations for fair have gone for her and her sheep, Dinky. I started by asking Flora how old she was. Ten years old. Excellent. And how long have you been in 4-H for? Eight months. Oh, excellent. So you're quite new to it, right? Yeah. And tell me some of the things that you've enjoyed about being in 4-H. I like learning about how to show my sheep and how, how to take care of sheep correctly. Oh, excellent. So you've done a sheep project this year, right? I think there's lots of different projects that people do do, but you chose to do sheep, right? Yeah. And can you tell me, what was it about sheep that made you interested? Was there anything... Well, how come you ended up with a sheep? Well, where I live, we... Sometimes the sheep have bummer lambs, which are lambs that the mama sheep don't want anymore. Or the mama sheep has some kind of illness or had too many babies or something. And we get those sheep, so I got to use one of those sheep. I got a free sheep, basically, (laughs) to do my work with. And so you have to take on a little baby then, do you? Yeah. How old is that baby when you get it, that lamb? Like a week old. Oh my goodness. And do you have to become the mama? Yeah. (laughs) And what do you feed it when it's so tiny? We give it um, milk. What kind of milk? Just milk from the store? No, it's like um, a powdered form of lamb milk and then you mix it with like warm water and it turns into milk that you can give to the baby sheep. Excellent. So your baby sheep isn't like a baby anymore, is it? No, he's a, he's eight months old now, oh, so okay. he's pretty big. Excellent. And can you tell me what kind of a sheep is he? He's a western white face. Okay. And what does he look like? Um, if you give him a bath, he's white, but he doesn't look like that all the time. <laughs> do and you do you ever have to give him a bath? Yeah, cuz normally they're browner because they're laying in the dirt all the time and stuff. Mhm. Does he did he have to have a bath to get ready for the fair? Am I right in thinking is it the fair coming up soon? Yeah. Oh, and okay. I have to give him a bath tomorrow. To get him ready for the fair. Okay. He needs to be sparkling white for that, does he? (laughs) Um, And what do you feed? Does your sheep have a name? Yeah, his name's Dinky. Dinky? Yeah. (laughs) That makes him sound like he's very little. No, he's not. He's not very little. (laughs) Um, What do you feed Dinky? Um, Right now I I give him Purina show lamb, grain, and alfalfa. Excellent. Can you tell me, what else have you found out about sheep? Like you said that one of the things you enjoyed at 4-H was learning how to care for them. What other things have you found out about caring for sheep? Um, I've learned how to get them fatter and how to... um, I've learned also how to clip a sheep. Oh, wow. And I've learned... I've learned how much you can feed, like how much... You can feed them and how much they should weigh. Oh, brilliant. So is your sheep ready for fair, do you think? Um, (laughs) yeah, maybe. He's a little rusty, but... (laughs) (laughs) Does he have to perform well? What does he have to do for you on the day at fair? Um, I have to walk him around the ring without a halter on. And then when the judge tells me to stop, I have to set him, which means, like, make him look very straight and he won't walk for me right now (laughs) but I'm working on that. Is it an intensive boot camp for Dinky for the next couple of days then? Yes. (laughs) Well Flora we're excited to hear from you next month to hear how your show sheep went at the fair Um, and is there anything else you want to tell us? What's the funnest thing about 4-H you think? I really like um, working with my sheep to get him to Mm. be ready for fair. That's really fun. And who have we had helping us? Betsy Helms and her daughter, Kristen Helms. Mm -hmm. Have they been helpful? Yes. 
Maybe we can take this chance to say a big thank you. Thank you, Betsy and Kristen. (laughs) Well, thank you to all of you tonight for listening. Thanks to all those who shared their conversations with me, including Flora. Thanks for telling us about your sheep dinky, Flora. And you can find out more about the upcoming Redwood Fair, Redwood Empire Fair, at their website, which is redwoodempirefair.com. And you can also take a look online to find out more about the Mendocino County 4-H programs. Raising an animal is just one of the things that you can do in 4-H, and there are many other projects, many of them connected with science, technology, engineering and mathematics available in our county. If you just Google Mendocino 4-H, you'll find out more opportunities for youth development in our county. Please remember that if you have any comments about the programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit us at our Facebook page at the Hopland Research and Extension Centre or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Hopland Rec. Or you could always send me an email, hbird, H-B-I-R-D, at U-C-A-N-R dot E-D-U. We'd love to hear from you and find out what you'd like to be hearing on the Ecology Hour into the future. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willetson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.